who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. All right. Well, this morning, I want to open up with something a little light. There was a story about a guy named Bill and Ned. They were best friends, and they walked into a fast food restaurant. Bill ordered his food, and they took his order and gave him his food. Ned goes up to the order uh, to order his food, and the cashier says, Hey, Ned, how's it going? Hey, everybody, Ned's here. And everybody from the restaurant, become they come in, and they begin to just, you know, Acknowledge Ned's presence. And so as they get, they get ready and they sit down, Bill says, Ned, it seems like you're real popular here. And Ned says to him, uh, Bill, I'm the most popular man in the world. And Bill says, I don't know about that. He says, well, if you can name anybody that I don't know, I'll give you $1,000. And if you can't do it, then you have to give me $1,000. So Bill says, well, do you know the president of the United States? And so he says, well, let's book a flight to Washington and see. So they fly to D.C. They get to the White House. Ned doesn't even pull out any ID. All the guards let him walk by. He knocks on the White House door. And guess what? The president of the United States opened the door and says, hey, Ned, how you doing? He said, I'm good. He said, let's go play a round of golf. So they played a round of golf for the president. And now Bill is like, I still don't believe that you're the most uh, famous or known person in the world. So he says, he gave him his thousand. He says, okay, double or nothing. Do you know the uh, queen of, of Britain? He says, well, let's get on a flight. So they go to the, the you know, to the England and they get there and uh, they knock on the door and the queen of England opens the door and says, hey, Ned, how you doing? Come on in. Let's have a cup of tea. So they sit down and drink some tea with the queen of England. And so now Bill is like, oh, my God, I just don't believe this. So he gives him $2,000. And now he says, listen, this is my last bet, but I know for sure you do not know the Pope. So he said, well, let's go. So they get on the plane and they fly to the Vatican. And uh, they get there and he says, listen, here's what we're going to do. You're going to stay here and uh, I'm going to go up. And when you see the Pope comes out, I'm going to have my arm around him. And that'll let you know that I know the Pope. So Bill is standing out there and all the people begin to gather to see the Pope and see what he's going to say. So now, just like Ned says, the Pope comes out. Ned has his arm around the Pope. And then all of a sudden, Bill faints out there in the audience. So Ned rushes down to see what's wrong with with Bill and said, Bill, what's wrong? He says, you didn't faint when I knew the president. You didn't faint when I knew the Queen of England. Why would you faint with the Pope? He says, well... I was fine until some guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, who is that up there with Ned? (laughs) Come on, y'all give me a hand clap for that one. Come on now. 
<laughs> if you didn't get it, just go get that CD and you'll get it. <laughs> Today, all around the world, Christians are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So can we give our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Lord Jesus Christ a big hand again this morning? Today I want to share a message entitled, Unlimited Love. Unlimited Love. And my hope and my prayer is that this message will give you a greater insight on how much love that God has for you and for me. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to find John 3.16, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1. That was John 3.16, and then 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, all you have to do is look on the screen, and hopefully they'll have the... uh, the uh, notes up there for you. I have three points for you this morning. And if you all are a good Resurrection Sunday crowd, we'll finish all three of the points. All right. So if you're taking notes, the first point is this, and that is unlimited love expressed. Unlimited love expressed. In other words, when Jesus shed his blood, that was God's way of showing his unlimited love. I'm going to say that again. When Jesus shed his blood, that was God's way of showing us his unlimited love. And in uh, John 3.16, this gives us the highlight. And most people know this verse, but I want to point something out from the verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, read it with me, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through his son might be saved. Now, I want to read that same verse out of the message translation because I believe it highlights what God did to express his love for us. The message translation of John 3.16 says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. In other words, God wants us to see that his love for us is unlimited. So just touch your neighbor and say, God has unlimited love for you. Now, when you look up the word unlimited, it means without limits. It means unconditional love. And it means unrestricted. So God's love for us is an unconditional love. It's an unrestricted love. It's a without limits love. And I believe most people do not fully grasp God's love and his depth of love for for them. Because watch this. We measure God's love from earth up instead of from heaven down. I'm going to say that again. Most people don't fully grasp the depth of how much God loves them because we typically measure God's love from earth up 
instead of heaven down. When you try to comprehend God's love from earth up, you will tend to compare God's love with our experience of man's love. In other words, we compare the flawed and conditional love and the way people have loved us on earth. We compare that to God. And what it does is it contaminates the reality of God's unlimited love for us. Amen. But when we look at God's love from heaven down, we view his love from heaven's viewpoint or we view his love from a biblical viewpoint. So God expressed his love for us when he gave his son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus expressed his love for us when he uh, accepted that role to die and gave up his life. But as simple as this sounds, I believe it doesn't always seem to express how deep God's love really is for us. And I think it's not that way or it is that way because we don't understand how involved what God did to bring Jesus. All we know is that he died for our sins. Jesus shed his blood and then God raised him from the dead. But see, when you really understand what went into that, I think you will fully appreciate God's love. In other words, if somebody gave you a gift and to you the gift seemed menial, And they gave it to you and you said thank you out of respect. But then they tell you the the, the depths of what they went through to get you the gift. They had to fly to Africa. They had to meet with the prime minister over there. And then the prime minister took them to this sacred place where he keeps all of his, his relics. And he, see, once you know that, you can appreciate. Well, did you know that at least 353 prophecies were fulfilled through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In other words, that means God made sure that at least 353 promises were fulfilled when he sent Jesus. Psalm 40 verse 7 says, Lo, Jesus said this, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. In Revelations 19.10 it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Luke 24:44 says that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me Jesus said. Did you know that God did something that was never done before Jesus came on the scene? See, there were people that had been raised from the dead before. They had seen that. But do you know that no one had ever had a birth from a virgin process? God made sure that a 14-year-old girl allowed him to impregnate her with his seed for Jesus to come in the earth. Then let me tell you why that's so powerful. Because had the seed come from man, sin is in the bloodline. But when a woman gets the seed, that's why every time you watch the Jerry Springer show and they say, he is the father... The reason they know that is because when they sample the blood of the child, it is going to match the blood of the father. So the blood of God had to be, watch this, planted inside of Mary because now it is not contaminated. Amen. So God went through a lot to show his love for us through sending Jesus. 
The New Testament puts it like this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love 1 John 14. It says this, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation, I hate that word, for our sins. We don't use that word these days. That's why I want to read it out of the message translation. <laughs> the message translation of 1 John 4, 9 says this. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they had done to our relationship with God. Which brings me to now my second point. And if you want to take notes, my second point is unlimited love explained. Because we have heard what it meant. That Jesus died on the cross. But I don't know if it's been explained in a way for us to appreciate God's love for us. Because God's love has no limits. It has no conditions. Nor, watch this, does it require anything from us. And that's why most people have a hard time comprehending God's love for them. Because most people, watch this, they do and they try to work for God's love. They try to perform for God's love. But see, you can't perform a work for God's love because if you could, it wouldn't be unconditional. Amen. Years ago when I was in Bible school, I used to get up early in the morning and pray in the banana bushes. That was the only place that was quiet. So I would get up out of my dorm room and I would go to the banana bushes and I would pray. And one day I was praying and the Lord said something very powerful to me. He said, Eben. If you never did anything else I told you to do, if you never obeyed me again in your life, my love for you still wouldn't change. Now, see, that was interesting to me because growing up, you get conditioned, watch this, to being loved or appreciated by what you do. And so, uh, you know, years for years, my parents, one of the things that my dad did is he made sure that we did duties. How many had to do duties growing up? Okay, we had a duty list on the wall, and it had everybody's name. And one thing that was wonderful about my dad is that when we did our duties right, we got some money for every day. But if we did not do them right, we had to repeat. So that's why I like to do stuff right the first time these days, because I don't like to repeat. But anyway, it conditioned our mind, just like school. School conditions your mind to perform. And so when God said that to me, it changed my life because watch this. God cannot love you or me any more than he does right now. Whether you never obey God again in your life, he's still going to love you the way he loves you now. God does not love you more than he loves a sinner because if he loves you more than he loves a sinner, that means his love has conditions. Amen. Most people not only confuse God's love, watch this, for God's approval, but they also confuse the ability to exercise their will as if it's God's will too. 
Okay, I'm going to explain this. I'm going to say it again. Most people not only confuse God's love, but they do it because they, they connect God's love with his approval. In other words, what I'm saying is, a lot of people, they see that God allowed them to make a choice that he didn't want them to make. But because he loves us, he's going to let us do what we want to do. Because we are free moral agents. So he lets us do it. And so what we tend to do, we confuse the fact that just because God, watch this, his love allowed us to do that, we think that his love was his approval. In other words, people think that just because God allows us to venture outside of his principal way of living, that his love is proof of his approval. But you can love somebody and not approve of what they're doing. For example, just because God allowed you to make a choice to divorce your spouse without a biblical reason doesn't mean that he approved of the divorce that you made. It's quiet in here, ain't it? Mm -hmm. In John 4, 7, I love this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. Here's verse 8 I want us to see. He that loveth not knows not God. Watch this. For God is love. It didn't say God does love. It said God is love. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that love is the very essence of who God is. God loves us so much, he allows us to exercise our wills, even if it contradicts his will. So what we do, watch this, we begin to question his love because of the negative consequences that we experience in our life from our bad choices. People get upset with God because they say, well, God, how can you allow this to happen to me when it wasn't that? He just allowed you and I to exercise our will. And watch this. The consequences of us breaking that principle life are the consequences. It's not that he did it. We did it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, I love this. It says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when he, you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Verse, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, not what, watch this, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? In other words, if you have a kid, who wouldn't discipline their kid? Verse 8. But if you are without chastening, that word chastening means discipline. If you are without that, of which all of you become partakers, then are you illegitimate and not sons? Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they, our natural parents, they indeed for a few days chastened or disciplined us as it seems best to them. But he, God, does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Watch this. I love verse 11. It's been one of the verses of my life. He says, now no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. 
Nevertheless, after after you allow discipline to take place, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. See, many people don't understand how God disciplines us. So let me just, you can just write these down. See, because people think, oh, I was in a car wreck. God's trying to tell me something. No, you in a car wreck because the devil want to kill you. God does not discipline his kids with car wrecks. So there are four ways in which God disciplines his children. Now, I know our natural parents discipline us with a belt. I know that. But God is spirit. He don't have a belt. So there are four ways that he disciplines us. Here's the first way. He chastens or disciplines us with his word. And that's why you got to get in the word and you got to stay in the word. Because if you don't get in the word and stay in the word, God can't check you. And so if you're in his word or if you're not in his word and he needs to check you, then the second way he disciplines us is that he corrects us by his spirit. Now, the spirit is on the inside. And that's why you'll hear that voice and say, don't do that. Go say that. Don't say that. Don't, don't do that. Okay. But see, sometimes we don't read the word. We can't get disciplined. We don't listen to the spirit. So here's the third way. He uses godly leadership to correct us. And sometimes he'll use ungodly leadership to correct you. Oh, I know that boss ain't saved and they cuss you out like you crazy. But maybe you need cussing out. You know, some people don't, they don't respond to Christian language. They just need a good cussing every now and then. Come on, you didn't listen to the pastor that Sunday. You didn't listen to your small group leader during the week. And so God's going to use this unsaved man to cuss you out. (laughs) And so if we don't respond from his word, we don't respond by the spirit. We don't respond through godly leadership or ungodly leadership. Then the last thing is that sometimes God will use, watch this, the consequences of our choices to help discipline us. So when bad things happen to us, it's not God showing his anger. It's the consequences of us violating a spiritual principle. The cop didn't give you a ticket because he's mad at you. The cop gave you a ticket because you ran a light. You broke a law. You broke a principle. And see, the principles are already set. The principle of gravity. What goes up? It's already set. You can jump off the building if you want to and say, God, save me. (laughs) The principle is set. You're going to squash yourself on the ground. I could just see you getting to heaven. God, why didn't you catch me in the sky? I did. That's why you're here. (laughs) So now I want you to find 1 Corinthians 13. Find 1 Corinthians 13. We're closing right here. 1 Corinthians 13. I am about to explain to you how powerful God's love is and how it works. Because, see, once you know this, 
I'm going to show you at the end how it helps you in your everyday walk. Most people have self-esteem problems. It's because they have a problem with God's love. Amen. So now here's our third point and our final point, And that is unlimited love experienced. Unlimited love experienced. First, we talked about unlimited love expressed. Then we talked about unlimited love explained. And now I'm going to talk about unlimited love experienced. In 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read this purposely in the King James Version. But then I'm going to change from that version over to the Living Bible because I'm going to point something out. Now, let me just explain to you that this particular chapter is called in most circles the love chapter. In other words, it's God's description of how you and I are supposed to love. So watch this now. In verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if I don't have charity, which means love, he says, I've become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity or love, watch what he says, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and if I don't have charity or love, watch this now, it profits me nothing. In other words, he's saying, You can go give all your money to help somebody buy some groceries, but if you didn't do it in love, it profited them, but it didn't profit you. So then he goes on to say, I love this. Verse 4. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love envieth not. Love does not bond itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love does not seek her own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Watch this. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And love never fails. Now, I'm about to read that same verse of Scripture in the Living Bible. But this time... I'm going to change the focus from describing how we are supposed to love to describing it as if this is what God does. Because you have to understand it says God is love. So if he's telling us to love that way, that means he must now hold himself accountable to loving that way as well. So now let me let you hear this as if God is saying this to us. The Living Bible says this. Love or God, because God is, come on, God is, okay, so if God is love, God is very patient. God is very kind. God is never jealous or envious. God never is boastful or proud. God never is haughty or selfish or rude. Another version says that God or love doesn't force itself on others, and that's why God allows us to do what we want to do. God is not going to make you do nothing. He can prompt you. He can encourage you. He can speak to you. But he's not going to make you because if he made us do it, we would not be in the sin mess we're in now. He just would have made Adam and Eve not eat that fruit. 
God doesn't force himself on others. God does not demand its own way. God is not irritable or touchy. God doesn't have attitudes. Here's, I'm, I'm adding this in here. God doesn't have attitudes like we do. God does not hold grudges. And God will hardly even notice, watch this, when we do wrong. God, or love, is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. When God loves... If you love somebody, this is what the version says, if you love someone, he will be loyal to you no matter what the cost. So I'm going to say it like this. When God loves you, he will be loyal to you no matter what the cost. God will always believe in you. God will always expect the best of you. And God will always stand his ground in defending you. Come on, give a hand clap for the love of God. The Bible says the devil comes to God every day to accuse us. You see, God, they did this. God, they did that. God, they did that. But see, the Bible says here that God always expects the best. And he, watch this, he stands his ground to defend us. And so you know what? When the devil comes to accuse us, all he does to the devil is point him to the blood. If the average person understood God's love, we wouldn't spend the majority of our lives trying to feel forgiven. We wouldn't spend the majority of our Christian walk trying to do good works to be forgiven. But instead, we would know that we're forgiven. So what happens to us? I'm closing right here. What happens when we begin to fully experience God's love? Here's the first thing. We become confident of who we are because when you understand God's love for you, it will help you understand the love you ought to have for yourself. See, when you know that God has accepted you as is, as dark as you might be, He still loves you and accepts you. As tall or skinny, big or fat, braces or not, crooked feet, street, feet, Crooked teeth, crooked everything. See, God's not like people. Some of us are bettering ourselves to be liked by people, but if you knew you were already liked by God, it wouldn't even matter. Number two, when we understand God's love for us and we begin to love ourselves, watch this, we can then confidently and without fear love others. See, just in those two examples, we fulfill the most highest commandment. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. To love God with all your heart, watch this, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So when I love me right, I can love you right. And see, some of you all have entered in too many messed up relationships. And now it's hard for you to fully love somebody because you've been hurt by so many people. But when you know that God loves you, it doesn't matter. Here's the next one. When we understand God's love, we will begin to embrace his will for our lives instead of resisting his will. When I really understood that God's got my best interest at hand, I just started saying yes to what he wanted me to do. Because he, watch this, he loves me and he wants the best for me. And when I understand that, I will abide by his rules. Amen. Here's the last one. When you really know that God loves you, you can begin to trust 
that he will work all things together for your good. Even the dumb choices that we make, even some of the mistakes that we've made over our lives, what you don't understand is that we serve a God that is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He sees the top before he gets to the bottom. And guess what? Because he does, he has already factored our mistakes into his will. So it doesn't matter what you've done today. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. He's already factored that into his will because he knew you would do it. And therefore, he's going to work all things together for your good if you love him and you do what's called according to his purpose. So with every head bowed, there are some people in the room today that has never experienced the true love of God. The true love of God. The love that changes bitterness to love. The God that changes unforgiveness to forgiveness. And I'm about to say something that's very, very tough. But God loves you and I so much, He will love us all the way to hell. Because hell is not His choice. It's ours. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, there are some of you who have believed in Jesus. But you haven't taken that next step and accepted him as your savior. You say, Pastor, what's the difference? You can believe that a chair will hold you up. But you don't trust the chair till you sit down in it. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, here's the question. If you die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Because if you're not 100% sure you'd go, the chances are you're not saved. You know your name. You know your address. You know your children's name. Then you should know you're saved. And if you're not, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Now here's what's going to happen. When I pray for you, I'm not going to ask you to...